Hey, Cloud Unfiltered listeners. This is Ali Amagasu, and it's October. You probably haven't heard from us for a while, and you're probably wondering, well, you're probably not wondering about that because you were probably having a fantastic summer, which is exactly what we were doing. We took a little hiatus, as is the practice in the podcast industry, a practice we are very fond of. We rested, we got refreshed and ready to go, and we've got a great lineup of guests going into fall and winter. We've got people from Cisco, people from outside Cisco, folks from the open source organizations, crazy startups, research institutes, you name it. They're going to be talking about containers. They're going to be talking about serverless, AI, ML, IoT, all the things that cloud has become and is becoming. So please tune in. Here are our latest guests. They're very, very interesting. And what's more, if you have guests that you would like to see on our show, go ahead and reach out to us directly. So far, we've made this a one-way conversation where we present the guests that are interesting to us, but we'd also like to present the guests that are interesting to you. So if you have a suggestion, email us directly at cloudunfiltered at gmail.com. We'll read your email, see if we can get uh, the folks that you're interested in hearing from on the show, and make it that much more relevant to your life. Thanks so much. Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts for our first episode. We are slowly working our way back into a good rhythm after the summer hiatus. It clearly left us a little sluggish, but we're back in the game and we're really excited to have a guest from the Linux Foundation today. We have not had anybody on from there for a while, but they have some interesting things happening. Before I introduce her, though, I would uh, like to introduce my co-host, who is here as always. Hey, Pete Johnson. Hey, Allie. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are things down in the nerd lair? Uh, they're fine. We've got some rain. It's it's we're about to turn to fall in Michigan. There's still green leaves on the trees, but I, I got my first sprinkling of brown ones on my back lawn this week and the weather's starting to turn a little bit for us. Yeah, us too. Today was the first real fall day. It was forty seven degrees this morning. Oh, us us too. There's there's no fall <laughs> in Southern California. My kids are almost wearing parkas when it's forty seven uh, degrees out. You need yeah. to know. Long sleeve started at seventy seven. 47 is Parkas for us, so. Okay, the, like, the long sleeve start at 77 degrees Fahrenheit is what I want to, yeah. I, know, I, I grew up I grew up there, you're weather wimps. Come on. They're going to have very limited university options. Yes, <laughs> they probably will. I, I don't know where I'm going to send them to college if they're going to be warm and happy. But um, anyway, enough about us. I am thrilled to welcome our guest today. As I said, she's from the Linux Foundation, Director of Strategic Programs there, and her name is Kate Stewart. Welcome, Kate. Hey, thank you so much. Nice to join you. And I'm here in Austin, Texas, and our temperature's daytime high is going to be in the 90s today. And we don't get below 80s at night, so I'm jealous. <laughs> Looking forward to fall right now. <laughs> wow, I did not realize that was the situation down there. Yeah, we've been pretty hot for a very long time this year. So You know what? It makes a lot more sense now because I have a friend who just opened a popsicle business in Austin called Planetary Pops Quick promo for Nikki Acosta. She's a Cisco alum and actually um, she's worked for a lot of um, OpenStack uh, companies and mm -hmm. she just opened and apparently it's taken off like crazy. And I thought, why are people buying popsicles when it's this cold out? But now it makes sense. There we oh, go. Yeah. No. <laughs> cool. Well, well, the reason we wanted to have you on was we heard you guys have an announcement happening and it's about the Zephyr project. Now, I do not know anything about this effort project. So before we get into the announcement and talk about what's happening there, can you summarize for myself and for our audience, what, what is this effort project about? 
So Zephyr Project is an open source project and it's under neutral governance, so no one company dominates it. And what we're trying to do is make sure we have a solution for places where Linux is just too big. Linux really doesn't get much smaller than 2 meg these days. And a lot of sensors, a lot of small devices and things like that don't have the memory for that and don't have the interest to basically be running that. Up till now, they've been running bare metals or a variety of other OSs. With Zephyr, though, what we wanted to try to do is bring the best of the ecosystem together and have best practices sort of employed in terms of code development and take some of the lessons we learned from using Linux and get them working in an open source code base. So we started the project, it launched publicly in February of 2016. So we're, you know, we've only been out there for a few years now. Uh, but in that period of time, we've been growing very well indeed. And we've been getting a lot of very interesting contributions into the project. And that's enabling us to go in some rather interesting areas. So, it's, so if, a, if a regular Linux deployment is, is, you say, has a hard time being less than two megs, how, how big is a Zephyr deployment? Okay, well, Zephyr can go, you know, as low as 8K for very, very simple things. But the usual size is, you know, the communication stack and so forth is more, is larger than that. Um, everything, though, with Zephyr is statically bound. And so you can keep it very tight and concise. It's actually a fairly familiar environment for Linux, a lot of embedded Linux developers, and it's using things like kconfig in order to figure out exactly what you're actually, you know, mining. And it's using things like device tree to actually talk to the devices, both of which are very familiar to Linux developers. But um, it's, again, like I say, it's targeted to a very small footprint. It's written in C, and it seems to have been getting some traction, and we're starting to now see products start to emerge quite nicely in the market with it. So we're really excited about that. Thank you for the background. So that brings me to the announcement. What is the what is the announcement about this project's been around? Sounds like three years, going on four years. What's changed? We're coming out with the 2.0 release right now, and we're also coming up with the very first update to our LTS. So for those who've been working with the latest kernel, you know that the LT, long-term support or LTSs are the ones you use for building products on top of because they don't change quite as rapidly, and you can sort of stabilize for your products. And Zephyr took and adopted this model of LTSs right from the start. And right now we're finally at the stage where in our last release we put out the 114, which is our LTS. And this release we're actually putting out our 114.1, which is our first update to it. So we've got some security fixes into it, and we've also, you know, had some you know bug fixes and gel things like you do with regular LTS releases. So we're starting to finally you know make that LTS promise real. And that's this is the first update that's got that. And we've also are continuing on with our mainline development, which is now called 2.0. And this is the first 2.0 release. And so we've got some new hardware architectures that are showing up in it. Um, we've got the ARM R cores in there. Uh, we have a RISC-V 64-bit port that is sitting in there now too, as well as the RISC-V 32-bit port that was there before. So we're getting some rather interesting architectures coming in and being added into Zephyr. And that's making for, you know, Interesting use cases. I think um, there's a good blog post that was put out by uh, Nicholas Petra from Bay Libre about why they did the 64-bit port, but it comes down to address space and access of address spaces. And that being able to access large address spaces is something they wanted to be able to do from this lightweight core uh, and OS. So that's a good part of it for us is having this new fact that we've got new features continuing to come out. There's some new protocol stacks that are supported now too. With this release, we've actually got the improved update 
for the PPP layer and using the uh, proxies there to work better. As we else, we've got Sox. Sorry, we've got the Sox Five proxy that has been added in. So we've got improvements in our communication layers for Zephyr right now, as well as the six locan has been added to. So there's a lot of different spaces that are starting to get really interested in working with Zephyr. And some of these protocol step improvements in the protocols and the communication stacks are going to be helping with that. Cool. I love to hear that the SOX5 proxy is included now. That changes my life. Pete, you know I'm, you know I'm lying. You might as well be telling your hamster that. <laughs> But Pete knows it means something. He knows what all these things mean. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that hits me about this is I was researching for this conversation to, to sort of bring it up a level, right? It, it would seem, well, let me ask it this way. Is it fair to say that Zephyr is trying to be the Linux for thermostats, tire pressure sensors, and any other IoT device that you might want to run, regardless of what the underlying yes. chipset is? Yes. And we are a trusted solution in the space such that when you're connecting up to the edges in the clouds, you have a way of security and safety are important to you. You have a way of doing it. And the SOX 5 proxy, I use that as, as a way to leverage. A lot of these devices today, they're, they can do super cool things, but they don't always have security where they're, you know, where they need to. So how important do you think the Zephyr story is that it's providing this sort of common security footprint that it includes things like SOX5 proxies and so forth? Uh, I think, so Zephyr has cared about security right from the very start. And we've actually have a security subcommittee that meets with different members. And we meet every um, two weeks. And Zephyr's actually become one of the few open source projects that's a CNA. So we are actually our own CVE numbering authority right now. And so if you go look up us up on the uh, MITRE sites, you'll see Zephyr listed as a project along with some of the other big guys. But we've been handling vulnerabilities and working with researchers to, you know, does this make sense? What do we need to re you know, rectify, fix, and so forth? So we have a group of people that take security very seriously. And as part of that, we're busy working on getting, you know, trusted stories of booting and going up to the clouds. So we've got prototypes out there talking to Amazon's cloud, talking to Google's cloud, and there's more in the works, uh, people we've been talking to. So we're trying to be a, a pretty much a vendor neutral solution for talking to clouds as well. Because, you know, these devices catch data, um, but that data's gotta go somewhere to be useful. Right, <clears throat> sure. Now, now, one of the things that, uh, if you go digging around the, the Zephyr website, it, Zephyr will bill itself as a real-time operating system. We talked a little bit about the memory footprint, but functionally, what's the difference between a real-time operating system and, say, a generic flavor of, of Ubuntu or Red Hat that people would be familiar with? Sure. So what a real-time operating system provides is a deterministic way of understanding what the time um, writing that you will get service within a time window. It doesn't say it's going to be fast or anything else, but it will have a guarantees of determinism such that you can then build algorithms that depend on the fact that they will be serviced within a certain period of time in a time range. So Zephyr's um, one of the RTOSs and, you know, there are places where you, when you're dealing with signals like voice mm -hmm. and video and things like that, that you need to have those determinism guarantees. And that's what an RTOS would provide. So usually you see RTOS is being used in things like the embedded space mostly, but there is needs for it in the main Linux spaces 
and things that have time critical aspects that you need to have certain guarantees. One of the other projects I work on actually is real-time Linux. So I'm ah. <laughs> familiar with both of these things. And, you know, uh, real-time Linux has been some, a work in progress for the last several years. Um, and we're pretty close to getting finally the whole preempt RT stuff upstream. But at the heart of it, between the difference between a regular OS and a real-time one is you've got these deterministic windows on your scheduler that you can work with and program tasks too. Okay. Well, now let me let me ask you about that memory footprint. So it's it's as small as 8K. Uh, now the website says it's it's to more than 512K. So, but what's what's like the memory sweet spot for Zephyr? Probably about 128 sort of deal. It's a question of what communication stacks you're going to be using with Zephyr. That's what adds in a lot of the um, footprint. And so what protocols you're running, um, all of these you can statically link together to create a usable image that you'd be running on these sensors. But it depends who you're communicating with and where you're communicating and what you want to be doing. So probably more than 128 range for a more usual type of configuration. But again, it's very subject. It's embedded, so it's subject to what you want to do. Well, do you know what had 4K of RAM and couldn't run Zephyr is an original Pac-Man machine. <laughs> okay, very good. Way to know that, Pete. <laughs> also, the Apollo guidance computer could yeah. not run. So, so I've, I've heard the source is now available on Software Heritage for the Apollo stuff too. Now, <laughs> it's supposedly, yeah, it is. Right? There's, there's all. I mean, and I, I bring up those examples because uh, somebody, somebody who has dealt with more modern computing system might ask the question, what can you really do with 8K of memory? And the answer is you can land on the moon or you can invent a video game industry. I may use that. Thank you. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, Zephyr is, fi is finding interesting homes right now in places I would not have originally suspected. Like Can right you share now, with us any of those homes? Because yeah, that's what I'm yeah. wondering is who's who's using this and what are they using it for? And I well, um, one of the ones is a company in Scandinavia that has basically put Zephyr on ear tags for reindeers. Okay. And, so, and uh, what it is is they're basically using a lower protocol to communicate, but they've got these tags on these reindeers to determine when they're not moving anywhere or talking, you know. And the idea being if the reindeers are not active. They may have been taken down by a predator or something like that. And if they've been taken down by a predator, then they can go and find that and document it and they get insurance money. So this is part of trying to work with the natural ecosystem as well as work with the desire for people to, you know, not have all their reindeer eaten by wolves. So they're putting these tags on these reindeers up there in uh, Scandinavia and are monitoring the herds remotely. I like that. I think those people need to talk to the mountain lion people down here because we have mountain lions. I'm making Southern California sound like it's a death trap <laughs> of carnivorous animals, but we do have mountain lions and they track them with these massive necklaces. They have to wear these collars. They have a giant box under their chin. Mm -hmm. And uh, in order to know where they're feeding and how the heck they're getting across the 101 and the 405 because they do it somehow. So they try to, they try to track and they know all the pumas in the mountains around here. And it just seems burdensome, though. Every time I see a picture, I feel terrible for the puma wearing this very large and heavy-looking necklace. A little ear tag seems like it would be nicer. A much, much nicer solution, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, the Nordic thingy is one of the uh, new boards that's out with Zephyr on, but pretty much by default, is part of their BSP. It's 
So we're starting to see more boards are showing up with Zephyr on now by default, which is again going to incite, make it easier for people to adopt them into products. Um, so I think that one came, may have come from that or may have come from an earlier generation, but we're also seeing a variety of you know different types of applications using these different modems and communicating long range. Um, starting to show up. One another interesting one that's sort of come up is uh, there's a startup in Israel that's basically welding zephyrs onto the sides of garbage trucks, and they are putting them in there for six months at least, and that's where they sort of do the welding, so that when these dump trucks are picking up garbage, they're tracking when it goes above a certain tilt uh, where it is, so that they're not dumping outside the landfills. So this is part of tracking things, so they're not you know, tracking outside landfills. We also have things like Narbox. We've got routers that have Zephyr doing the Bluetooth communication portion of things. Zephyr's actually got a very strong Bluetooth mesh story right now um, and low energy. In fact, we've just finished getting QDID certifications logged for Zephyr for its mesh and its host. So it makes it easier for people to develop products and be able to know that they're complying with some of the Bluetooth standards as well. So when you were talking about the dump trucks in Israel, you're yeah. the trash trucks, you were saying that they put a Zephyr on it. Is that to say, you're, are you talking about an IoT device that has Zephyr in it? Or is yep. it a very specific? They have a little board with Zephyr on it and a battery, and it's got to yeah. last at least six months. <laughs> Same with these rain, you know, reindeers. It's got to be very low cost in terms of the processing. And... Um, to make the battery life last a long time. And so they're basically welding these on to the sides of their, these trucks. And then, you know, to change the battery, you have to undo the welding because they want, you know, they don't want people taking in and mucking with it, right? And so uh, we're seeing lots of, you know, interesting applications emerge, to put it mildly. You know, it's we're also seeing mesh, mesh configurations, and we're seeing people trying to work with it with the sound ecosystem. One of our new members for the project is Bose. And so they're... What are Bose doing? I don't know yet. I'm looking oh, for really? out. I'm looking for <laughs> discussions with some developers when I get to meet them and understand, okay, is there a product I can talk about soon from them? Um, but yeah, they've formally joined the project to work with us. The other one is um, Odicon, who's been a member for a while now, has upgraded to Platinum. And they're putting a strategic investment on using Zephyr for the next generation of hearing aids. In fact, they actually were very public about it and they actually gave a talk at the end of August at the Open Source Summit. And so that video, I think, is up online now, and you can understand to talk about how they're using and implementing with Zephyr. Wow. So, so yeah, that that the internet connected hearing aids one was the one from the press release that kind of grabbed my attention. And is the is the core use case for that similar to like if you lose one in product tracking kind of thing, like you do with the reindeer, or are we like talking about trying to stream Spotify over your hearing aid? I think it's more of the second one. And <laughs> I think it's, it's completely. I think what they're working with is the Bluetooth and the Bluetooth ecosystem and for accurate communication and improving the communication from many sources. That's unbelievable. Jeez. Yeah, they've got some awesome technology already. And I just can't wait to see what, which ones are emerging with this stuff on it. I think there's going to be a lot of really cool things to help people communicate well. Yeah, the and, IoT space is getting fun, is fun. I think it's yeah. really fun to look at what's happening in IoT, maybe more than anything else that we kind of work around. So we talked about some of the some of the high level stuff and some of these cool use cases you could get into, and we talked about the memory footprint. Um, I love that you brought up that this is written in C, and and I can only imagine as someone who started their coding career before we had things like Java in, in any of the right ones run anywhere, how many 
how many different compiler variants there are for the different bit architectures or the different chipsets that you're dealing with there. I can just mass respect for how you guys are dealing with that. Well, so most of what Zephyrus is is in C, and we've been working with GCC pretty much since the start. There's some work going on to make it more, um, remove the isms, the GCC isms from it to make it more neutral. Mm -hmm. Various vendors want to use it with their own compiler. Again, from the viewpoint of how do we optimize everything and make right. it the best we can and the, the smallest we can. So some of our members have their own compiler teams and so forth, and they want to use their standard compilers the standard variant of, GC, of um, C++ and so forth, and C actually, I should say, with Zephyr. And so there's work going on to make it so that we can, you know, compile uh, LLVM and the LLVM tool chain with Clang and so forth. Um, we've also been working with a variety of um, other tool chain vendors who've actually lent the project, given the project some licenses, so that we can put them into our regression suite um, so that over time uh, we can hopefully be running them and keeping people from breaking them too. So that'll be a subject for a future announcement. I'll tell you <laughs> cool. right now, but yeah, but we're, we, we've got people wanting to use Zephyr, you know, with a variety of other compilers beyond GCC and we're busy to work on moving the ecosystem over there such that we've got, we get rid of the special cases, so to speak, and everyone can use it. With their tool chains. Now, how's there been now that now that we have Zephyr that gives us this nice C-based foundation for talking to the hardware? Has there been much work that goes into the developer experience on top of that, so that maybe I don't have to be a C developer in order to write code for a particular device that I can use a, a, a language that's more modern? Or are we not there yet, and you still have to use use C to talk to these things? There's some Python and there's some interest in some of the other newer languages and getting those working with the runtime for Zephyr. I don't have, like say, MicroPython already runs with Zephyr right now, but there are others that I think are in the works. But again, we're an open source community. It's those who want to do something, come and help. <laughs> and we yeah. think it's from there. So we can't, I, it's hard to say exactly until it's actually there. It's hard to say it's on the roadmap sometimes. Oh, sure, sure. I just was trying to get a sense for what the developer experience is like. And if I'm someone that doesn't know C, does that mean I'm prohibited from taking advantage of this operating system? And it sounds like the, the growing answer is is no, that there are there is some work going on to bring other languages to this platform is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think there's some, you know, some of the other interpretive languages, um, getting them working on the platform is certainly a goal, again, each of these languages brings their own runtime with them. And so we sure. want to keep runtimes very small, obviously, for this space. But I think there is work going on there. And I think there's also work going on with the IDEs, improving the IDEs and the editing and that type of experience and some of the debugging. So more debugging tools are starting to show up in the ecosystem as are more of the editors for working with the code base. Yeah, th this space is so ripe for... I mean, you can already do so much, but I, I think as we start to get things like these other languages, it's going to just open up the number of developers that are capable of contributing to this ecosystem with with applications in a way. I mean, just the things that you just mentioned, right? I mean, you you could from from the earlier part of our discussion, like you you could put a reindeer on the moon. It wouldn't be you wouldn't be restricted by memory footprint. Like you could do it, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think the I think they may have a hard time pressing those buttons. Though, what can I say? Like <laughs> in that capsule. But yeah, no, I think we're going to some really interesting areas. Looking, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what's emerging. In fact, one of the devices that I know is running Zephyr is uh, the Narbox, which is like an SSD streaming device, basically, where you're taking pictures in the field, you're loading in your flash and offloading it. That's running Zephyr right now, again, because of battery and uh, long-term life. But there's been other you know, interesting startups like LC Healthy out of France has got these smart glasses where they basically put Zephyr in the frame of them so they can check when people's heads yeah. nod um, they're long-distance driving and do environmental monitoring and things like that. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of very interesting applications emerge out of this space, and I'm looking forward to it too. It's also a bit of a detective game to figure out, okay, where would like Zephyr actually be running? Who is actually running Zephyr and you know what applications are there? Because it's open source. We don't you know, there's no visibility that you've downloaded things. I have not been familiar with the term RTOS prior to this, but you did say RTOS plural at some point in this conversation, which implies to me there are others, perhaps proprietary ones out there. Are there, and you don't have to name them, but what advantages would Zephyr have over them? And and are they newer to the space than Zephyr? Is Zephyr the newcomer? Where, where does it stand with, with other proprietary solutions? Well, I think there's a variety of open and proprietary solutions out there. The oldest one I'm aware of sort of started in 2007, so it's been around for a fair amount of time. The big difference for Zephyr is it's got a very vibrant community and it's very open. Over the last year, for instance, we've seen about over 8,000 commits into the repo from these people. There's now over, I think when I looked at it this morning, over 500 people, 544 people have committed have contributed to Zephyr at this point now. So a lot of smart folks are making it better all the time. A lot of smart folks are making it better. We've got a vibrant community. We've got a lot of diversity of opinions kicking in now. And we've got a lot of diversity of use cases. And that's part of what's made Linux successful too, is a lot of people see how they can just add the bit that they need in order to make it do the task they need to be done. And we're trying to get Zephyr into the same sort of state where they, people can see it as a good base to build on for what they need. And so far, we seem to be getting that. So I think the fact that we've got all those commits happening, you know, and we've got reviews and we've got, you know, regression suites and so forth all working to make sure it stays at a good quality level is, I think, important to this community. And it's also a very open community. Anyone can sort of attend the TSC meetings if they're interested, like most LF projects. And anyone's free to contribute and become a technical contributor without, you know, joining the project formally. So it's the same way with Linux, right? Anyone can contribute up to Linux. Contributions for, for Zephyr are actually under the DCO, which is what Linux uses, which is the developer certificate of origin, which means you're not signing a CLA, you're not assigning your copyright to someone else. And so that, you know, you retain your own rights, um, but you are contributing into the project. And I think that's in part what's made Linux very successful too, is that equality of rights. And so prior to Zephyr or the, existent, the existence of other RT, OS is how are <laughs> folks handling the IoT kind of challenge? If they if these things were too big, you know, if it's too big, were they simply accommodating it by just making their their devices so they could could handle this? And did that make them slower, or did they have to be physically larger, or what was the? How are so, people getting by doing IoT before these things came out? So before the uh, this, a lot of people were doing roll your own. Okay. They, they had, if they had something that was sort of safety critical, there's some proprietary options out there. 
But to a large extent, people would just basically take a protocol that they needed to use and then uh, roll it into their own system. And this is good for you know, very small embedded devices. But when we start talking with communication and the IoT and the various proxy you know, protocols, it starts to open a rather large attack surface. And so these are the things that being able to collaborate on security and being able to have a team that's able to focus on security starts to you know, build a base that people can trust and not have to worry about. They can focus on what they're good at. Um, another one of our products that's out there is ProGlove. And what they've got is they've got a smart glove for, that's got a barcode scanner integrated into it. And it lets them, you know, touch the side of their finger, uh, side of their hand to um, trigger the, sense, uh, the scanner and provide inf information and feedback. And being able to take and work with that type of tooling in these environments lets you sort of, you know, lets that diversity sort of come through. But when we start working with them, I was saying, you know, hey, you should contribute your patches upstream. And they were going like, um, no, we're startup. We're too busy. We're too busy, which is a standard story in open source. But then someone else started contributing an LED driver. And then all of a sudden, hmm, that's going to make them do more work. So they start contributing upstream. So now they're a contributor into our project. And we very much welcome their contributions. And so as people work with technologies and they want to contribute it in a place that's, you know, not going to, they're going to want to build on top of working upstreams. And working with others and getting that level of quality review by other people is also very good. It certainly sounds better than rolling your own. Good Lord, that sounds terrible. Without even getting into the, just the work of it, without even getting into the security vulnerabilities you mentioned, the attack surface. So we're just about at time here. Pete, do you have any other questions you need to squeeze in before uh, we say goodbye to Kate? No, I'm good. This is a fascinating area, Kate. I really appreciate you spending time with us and educating us on what's going on. Well, Thank you very much for your interest, and thank you for educating me about uh, the size of the Apollo. I did not have that. <laughs> thank you again. <laughs> Great. Well, it was fun catching up with uh, both of you. Thanks for sharing the story, and hopefully we'll hear from the Linux Foundation again soon. Have a good one, Kate. Thank you. Nice Bye-bye, Pete.